you got Problems that you ought to be concerned with Moolah You don't know how you're supposed to earn it Or what to do with it Or how to keep it You're a freak with a dark shameful secret But you're not the only one Get your hidden financial fears With a blast of sun Now your healing has begun It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn And this is Bad With Money Do you remember who you were four years ago? I i mean, I do, kind of. It was 2016. I had just started a podcast called Bad With Money, a show about figuring out your finances because I was drowning in student loans and credit card debt and crying all the time. Uh, I was also on the verge of a breakup and fully unprepared for Donald Trump to become president of the United States. That was all in 2016. The breakup and Trump happened within three days of each other. So... A lot of crying, a lot of reasons to cry. Back then, I feel like I was naive about a lot of things, like how hard it is to crawl out of debt once you're in it, and how money basically shapes all of our realities. And about the systemic inequalities that can't be solved with personal finance. I feel like, and I'm sure you do too, a completely different person from 2016. And I feel like that old me was a baby to be charitable. Uh, you know, the show has evolved with me and how I make sense of money and how it influences how I live. Uh, you know, if you've listened all four years, you know that. Recently, big news, I paid off my debt. Specifically, my student loans are done. They're done. And because I didn't have any debt, I felt like I had a little bit more freedom. And I was very conflicted about the world we live in, so I had been seriously considering emptying my small savings and running away from America. Far, far away. And all season, we've had guests on the show that helped me figure out what my life could look like abroad. And thanks to them and even my listeners, you've all helped me make a decision. For now, I'm not going anywhere. Yes, running away is an option. I built an escape plan and everything to confirm that, yes, I can't afford to leave, but running away is not the solution for me right now. When we started this season, I admit I felt like escaping very badly. I wanted my old casual disappointment in America and our politics back and not this like constant overwhelming sense of despair. This season, as I talked to more and more people around the world, I realized that every country has problems. There's no idyllic perfect place that can escape the baggage and repercussions of its own history. That's... That's the world. The world is complicated and nuanced and full of history. So for this last episode of season five, I can confirm that, yes, I am staying in the United States of America, at least until November 2020, then we'll figure that out. I know that I need to take part in making this a place that I am proud to call my home. But I'd also like to focus on something positive as we end the season, something that might inspire the kind of hope we desperately need right now. For the last episode of our international season, let's look to a place that feels like it's full of the kind of potential that can inspire us. You guys, we're going to look to the moon. Cue RuPaul's rocket to the moon. Do we? Can we get the rights to that? We don't have the money for that. Just in your mind, imagine RuPaul's rocket to the moon. Right now, the moon is this newish frontier where people from all kinds of nationalities are working together to build something from scratch. We barely understand the potential of an entirely new destination, and I'd like to believe for the first time ever, we're looking at the land not just for Americans, not just for Russians, 
not just for the Chinese or another nationality. I'd like to believe that we're looking at the moon as a place for humanity. How great would that be? So in this episode, let's just imagine. I mean, imagining the future with a sense of hope is how we can reclaim hope in the real world, right? So here we go. Let's think about the not-too-distant future. How would money work on the moon? And how would humanity coexist on some kind of off-Earth territory? So first, I'm calling an aerospace engineer in Indiana where they're developing ideas for the first Earth-Moon economy. Hello? Hey, thank you so much for doing this. Sure. Uh, so I'm Gabby. Um, can you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Okay, I'm Kathleen Howell. I'm a professor at Purdue University in aero and astro engineering. Um, I spend a lot of time working on trajectory planning or mission planning for spacecraft, um, how they need to get where they're going to go successfully. And I work with a lot of um, organizations. I work with NASA. I work with some commercial organizations and so on having to do with satellites or spacecraft. That's the coolest thing. I was just telling my producer I went to space camp twice. So So huge fan. Um, So you're part of a team that's imagining and putting together concepts of what an earth moon economy might look like one day. This is a show about money. So what does that mean? So that means that if we're actually going to have some, you know, economic, uh, benefits, uh, how are we going to make that happen? So, you know, historically, that's happened at different times throughout our history. And so how are you going to make that happen in the space arena? Um, The timeline is uncertain, but we seem to currently be having sort of a kick up in interest. We need to have some, some things that are slowly happening get into place. And I'm what I do is I work on, you know, how do we do some of those things? How do we have the moon help our economy on Earth? Is that, like, the biggest part of it? Well, the moon is part of it, but that's only a piece. So we really need to start thinking about the fact that, you know, space systems in general, not just the moon, but just space systems in general are actually having an increasing role in not just in the U.S., but in all kinds of societies. So you know, that the economic development piece is already in place, and it's just going to, you know, change uh, shape and possibly get bigger over time. I mean, already it's over $300 billion um, is these global space activities around the world, So, and this is growing. So over time, it'll be more than just the moon. It's It's we call it the cislunar economy because it encompasses everything in the region between the Earth and the Moon. And currently, um, NASA is is trying to help uh, set up the architecture or the infrastructure that will allow us to go beyond the Moon. But the economic piece right now is going to be focused on cislunar, the region between the Earth and the Moon. In terms of what, like satellites that are there or how how we can make money off of that area? Those certainly are, are two of the things. So right, right now, when we think of an economy, we think of things that might be happening in the future in the manufacturing sector, for example. Are there things that we can produce, and there's folks working on these activities, things that we can produce that benefit from that new type of environment? Then there's also a whole um, sector around services from 
satellite operators. So there's an economic piece to be had for who's putting up the satellites, even things like communication and weather and so on, who's putting them up and, and how they're operating. And there's a certain um, economic benefit to all the uh, companies and so on that are involved in that. And then there's also the services sector. So, for example, we're growing in, you know, some of the satellites that are put up and then they, they create a lot of data. So how is that data used? You might, the agricultural sector in particular is quite interested in some of this data, and so it can get to uh, private organizations, it can get to city and county governments, um, it can get to disaster relief agencies. So that's the services piece as well. In terms of manufacturing, I remember reading something a while ago about how in um, in zero gravity, it's easier sometimes to make certain things or to put together. I think this in particular was like a, something to do with the heart, like a medical cardiac thing. Uh, is that what you're talking about in terms of it's easier to manufacture stuff in, in that area? So that's absolutely true. And there's a lot of different kinds of activities that are being explored to what you could make. And one of the newest ones I was just personally reading about is is a new way to make fiber optic cables that we use on Earth a lot. And that new physics environment may actually help you to do that. Um, manufacturing is big. 3D printing is big where you can take advantage of microgravity. It also means that possibly in the future, instead of launching things from the surface, we may actually be able to make them up there. Uh, and, and other things, as you mentioned, uh, in medicine, uh, human tissues, um, some other kinds of products. Um, and so there's a lot of experiments going on in trying to, to think about that. Now, some of those experiments are going on in the space station, for example. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine if you went into production of any of these things, they'd actually probably need some kind of commercial space stations, which we haven't seen before, So, which could be bigger and could handle a larger economic um, I guess, an economic exchange. So there'd be like a factory up there. Yeah, yes, if, if there's benefit to that. And myself, I would have to determine, okay, how do we, um, what kind of orbit do we put them in? How do we actually get that, get the materials we need back to Earth and so on? Um, in terms of like commercial spaces or factories and stuff, uh, if we colonize the moon, right? Then what would an economy look like there? And, and you know, in, in terms of space, it's like what countries have jurisdiction? Like what would what would sort of the colonization of the moon look like? I imagine I, I have this thing that maybe it would replicate Earth, but I'm not quite sure. Well, I don't think anybody knows right now. Would um, love to is. speculate. <laughs> yeah, well, um, my father actually was involved in space law. So it's an interesting... Uh, that's a whole different domain, but it is, an, it is an active sector where people are talking about that. Um, I think going forward, we'll need more international agreements. I mean, um, all of the developed countries and many of the undeveloped countries are trying to get on board with their own national space programs. And something like uh, colonizing the moon is going to be an important, you know, is going to be one component of it. Um, and so the partnerships are important. So, of course, there's multiple countries that have their sites on the moon. Mm-hmm. including the U.S., uh, but we're not the only ones. Um, and so longer term, I think one of the questions is going to be, are there resources there? Are there other things there that we can use um, in this larger cislunar economy that's developing? 
That would be really interesting if we went up there and like made a commercial space or factory. And then I guess we would have to ship workers up there to start working. Like maybe the first things on the moon wouldn't be like a a house the way it's like, you know, seen in sci-fi. It would be like commercial spaces. Yeah, they're commercial spaces, but they're also um, what you fill them with might depend on their particular use. But there are some companies who are looking at, you know, how do you create habitats? Uh, Can you 3D print habitats that you might need for... For the workers. Yeah, or habitats that may just, you know, house workers, but they could also house something else. How do you go back and forth, you know, between the earth and whatever these facilities are? So when you think about it, too, um, you're going to need partnerships between the government and industry Mm -hmm. um, in order to facilitate this. So, for example, when you think about what happened on the ground, you're going to need a lot of infrastructure for this. So people quote a lot, you know, like the U.S. highway system. That was a piece of infrastructure that was critical to the development of the country. So we need some infrastructure for these kinds of activities in space. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think there are companies who are thinking about what, what pieces of infrastructure do we need? The government is certainly thinking about it with their gateway concept. And, and so I think, what do you need up there in order to facilitate your commercial space stations or your uh, colony on the moon or any other activities that you want to do up there? Um, will benefit from a development of the infrastructure, which by that I mean, you know, how do you build habitats? What manufacturing can you do? But also things like how do you get power? How do you get um, other kinds of supplies that you may need? Do you store propellant up there? How do you do that? Uh, propellant so, so that-, that people can can move around on the moon? Yeah, or or in space. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. You- yeah, you don't necessarily have to be on the surface in order to have an active, a, a lot of activities going on. So you can also be on a space station. So, but so there's you know companies may develop that will be part of the service sector, you know, just like like we have on the surface here. So they will be the ones that su- offer supplies or or try to get supplies, whether it's to a colony on the moon or whether it's to the space stations that may be up there. What's the gateway concept? The gateway concept is from uh, NASA, where they're looking at putting up a uh, space facility that's going to be not at the moon, but it's going to be in the cislunar environment. It's going to be a little closer to the moon. But it would be a place where, you know, it's sort of like a hub Mm -hmm. for a lot of these other kinds of activities where you could bring up a spacecraft and you could connect to the gateway and you'd have power and you'd have comm and you'd have some of these other things. Then you could go down to the lunar surface if you want. You could go to another space station if you want. You could move around in the environment. And someday the plan is that you could also use that as the hub that would send you off to other places like Mars or wherever else they wanted to go. So it's kind of like what it's the first piece of infrastructure that NASA is is putting together. Uh, They are, you know, working with international partners like they successfully did for the space station. Mm -hmm. It just has a slightly different purpose and is located in a different spot. Do you think it'll be more like the government and NASA will get there first? Do you think like it'll be a private thing and we'll have to be like fighting Elon Musk (laughs) for control of the moon? I think it'll be a partnership. You have to have you have to work at this together. 
And so I think that's really how we will all be most successful. All of NASA's activities involve industrial partners, all of them. Mm-hmm. And so that's an important piece. We neither, none of the individual uh, component, none of the individuals can do this on their own. Mm. Even Elon Musk works with NASA at times. So the partnerships are what are the key things and, and international partners as well. Uh, what do you think is the most likely currency for this kind of economy? Oh, gosh, I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, would it be the dollar? Would there be a new, like, moon dollar or, or like, space dollar? I don't know. It could be that some of the partners don't want any any one country represent the currency. So, right. um, so that would be an interesting argument uh, to take to consider how, to, how this all evolves. Um, and, and I'm sure the more that we engage um, with other countries, now if you, if you actually looked about it, the, the number of countries that now have space agencies and are spacefaring or contribute to the space enterprise is growing quite rapidly. So a lot, large part of the world is already engaged. Um, a number of countries that you might not expect are participants. So I guess they'd all have something to say about what the currency might be. What countries? Uh, most, you know, just about any country you can name has has some engagement in it. Either they're participating directly, they're trying to get to other destinations. Um, United Arab Emirates is sending uh, spacecraft uh, to Mars, I think, coming up. Um, India is already at Mars with the U.S. and, of course, the Europeans. So there's an increasing number of, certainly in the cislunar space, the space closer to Earth, there's a lot of countries that are either gaining uh, launch capabilities or they're interacting with launch partners in order to get their satellites up. Whoa. So we should all learn every language. Yeah, actually, (laughs) China's at the moon already, too. So the language is another thing that actually facilitates the economy. As far as I am concerned, my interactions with internationals are all in English, mm-hmm. um, but that might also be important going forward. So, wow, I love this. I mean, uh, how far in the future are we Are we talking about some of this stuff? So, the for the construction of the gateway, for example, for NASA in the U.S., is occurring, you know, this decade, so... An initial goal is 2024, of course, with a goal for sustainability in 2028. So these things are coming up fast. Um, The U.S., um, China already on the moon. Uh, A number of other countries, including Israel and India, have have been working to land on the moon. Um, Other locations as well. Uh, But one of the actual, one of the economic issues that I think we're going to have to deal with in the near term is there's so many satellites, so many countries are involved, it's getting pretty crowded up there. So we do currently have a debris problem. There's so many things up there. Um, And so we're going to have to work on that. That's also a global issue. Um, And the uh, CubeSat, no, I don't know if you've heard about CubeSat? No. That is a completely disruptive technology that is changing the face of uh, the Earth's or the orbits near Earth, because these are little bitty guys. Um, they're probably, you know, the size of this, you know, a telephone. They're really small. 
and you can launch them and they can do amazing things. Even high schools are building them these days. There's a new industry popped up in launching these secondary type payloads into orbit, and it's changed those who have access to space uh, technology. So you've got large satellites, but you've also got a lot of these smaller ones. And, and putting a bunch of the smaller ones together, you can do a lot of things. What are the smaller ones for? What are they doing? Well, some of them are teaching, even down to you know grade school and high school students, how to build something that can function in space. But they can do other things too. For example, a whole bunch of them, and there are companies that put up a whole bunch of them, you can image, you can take images of the entire Earth every day. Oh. every point on the earth with enough of these up there. And those have been really transformational in dealing with, for example, disasters, uh, communications. The agriculture industry uses um, smaller satellites in order to help soil moisture, um, some things like that. And you put a bunch of them together is what you do. And so you can, you can do a lot with imaging. You can do some other kinds of things. And we're still experimenting with exactly what they can do. So oh. the... Um, NASA is going to, the first um, launch of Orion, which is the spacecraft that ultimately will go to the Gateway, is going to carry with it 13 of these little guys. Um, One of the ones I'm working on is a very small spacecraft, but it's actually going to go to the moon and look at um, some of the scientific data for the moon. So they can do a lot of things around the Earth. They can also do a lot of things further out. What do you think, like, would you want to live on the moon? Like, are people, are average people going to be living on the moon by, like, 2050? I don't know. Um, I'll be gone by then, probably. <laughs> but um, there may be, there's a lot of people who want to do that. There certainly are. Uh, whether it'll be in 2050, um, there certainly is one, one group that is looking at the possibilities include tourism. Um, there's a company uh, based in New Mexico called Virgin Galactic, and they are open for business if tourists want to take a ride and go up to sub, you know, into a suborbital flight now. Oh, my God. Um, so they're opening the tourist business, and if you can afford it, they actually also have a program where they train um, ordinary citizens to uh, be not astronauts so much, but actually go up safely, and they teach them how to do that. And so they're opening or starting the tourism trade, and that's happening, like, now. Yeah, tourism will probably be a huge thing. Like, private companies doing space tourism or or visits to the moon will probably become, like, a huge a huge thing. And it's interesting to try to regulate that in terms of the payments and safety and all of that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and across the U.S., there's, you know, the FAA also um, licenses spaceports, and there is an increasing number of them, and some of them may serve some of these other kinds of industries eventually. You know, so there's a lot of activity happening. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say which ones will jump ahead or, or whatever over time, um, which ones will take shape first, but there's a lot of different activities going on. Um, we're learning a lot. I think that's an important thing to say. We're learning a lot. The environment in space is different than it is on Earth. So that offers challenges, but it also offers a ton of opportunities. So we're trying to learn about them, figure out how do you actually operate. You know, and it wasn't that many hundreds of years ago where people were afraid of the oceans. So um, (laughs) I think we'll learn and we'll get better at it as time goes on. 
do you, would you want to live on the moon? You know, I'm, I'm much more, it, it, it's like when I was younger, um, people always asked me if I wanted to be an astronaut. And, you know, that's a whole living on there or a whole profession in and of itself. I'm much more excited about enabling all of these other capabilities. Mm-hmm. So that's where I want to put my time and effort. And I can do that from here a lot better than I could do it from the surface of the moon. So I think, you know, I'm not as, that's not as big of a deal to me as it is to some of the younger people around here. <laughs> Everyone's like, get me up to the moon. I want to be a moon citizen. Yeah, and see, what I'm thinking about is I'm old enough to recognize, well, what are you going to do once you're there? <laughs> uh, Tamika, do you have other questions? Hi, Kathleen. Hi. So I've been on this journey with Gabby the whole season, and I feel like we've been looking at different countries and how the world is working right now. So in this episode, we specifically wanted to look at a new frontier. And I was wondering, do you think there's still an optimism when we think about the possibilities of space, even as things become more commercialized and we focus on the business side? Oh, I'm absolutely optimistic. The opportunities that open up are tremendous. And I think it's important that we understand that around the world, you know, lots of different countries and cultures are looking to space as well. And I work with lots of other international folks who are eager and excited as well. It's challenging, which is actually part of the fun part, Uh, but the challenges open up new opportunities that you hadn't thought of before. And the business side is an important component, you know, the the capitalist society or the the basis. But I think that's important because we all have to do it together. And and every single country, the government has to work with their industry in order for the, you know, the local economy to function. So I'm very optimistic. Um, I'm excited. And some of these things, I get impatient because they don't happen fast enough. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone thought, you know, in the 80s, they imagined like 2020 uh, when everyone lives on the moon. (laughs) You're like, well, that (laughs) didn't happen. Well, it didn't. But I think that's for a combination of reasons. And and one of those is it's hard, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think getting and staying and living is is harder than we thought. Um, And and. Part of it is because we need these partnerships to work together. And I think we've been learning how to do that. And, you know, that's something you got to learn just like you have to learn about the physics. You have to learn how to, how to work the pieces together. And I think we've been, we've been trying to do that. Certainly, I think in the international community, a lot of technical people work together. Mm-hmm. Um, we all are very capable, no matter where you live in the world. And we're all we can all discover new things that can be shared and, and provide an avenue towards development. And so I, I think learning how to do some things together is, is also part of the deal, whether that's economically or just, you know, in technology development. Even, I think you mentioned it earlier, it's even kind of like, how do you talk to each other? So those are, and I think all those things are happening. Um, but because it's a challenge, it doesn't happen overnight. Now, on the other hand, if you look throughout history, you know, uh, reaching new frontiers, you know, typically took a couple hundred years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
we've only been in the space game since, you know, the late 1950s. So we're still really, you know, babies in this new environment. It's kind of nice that everyone will have to work together because it's a new it's a new space for uh, lack of a better term. Yes. And, and I think that's a positive. And I think ultimately that will help us all. Um, but that's a tough problem, too. You know, so we're going after it. And I think the commercial piece will be helpful with that, um, too, because many companies who are working in this arena are not just, you know, one nation. That's kind of nice. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Dr. Hell. Thank you, guys. Let's take a quick break. And I also need to get ready to call a reporter to talk about space capitalism. So be right back. And we're back. Okay, I think there's an interesting angle here that I want to pick at. So, even if a lot of nations colonize the moon or some kind of new structure that orbits our planet or orbits the moon, and we all devise a more harmonious way of existing together, I mean, what are the chances that the economy won't just be capitalism in space? I honestly don't know. I'm out of my depth here. But I'm going to call a science reporter who covers what's been going on with NASA and other folks investing in space right now. Hello. Hi, is this Lauren? This is she. Hey, this is Gabby. Hi, how's it going? Oh, good. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so first, can you tell my listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. My name is Lauren Grush, and I am the senior science reporter at The Verge, specializing in all things space. So, okay, so we're, this is a money show, and we're talking about money in space and on the moon. Um, is the moon a big priority for NASA these days? Definitely. NASA's major flagship program right now is the Artemis program, and it's aimed at returning humans to the moon by 2024 and also sending the first woman to the moon ever. Oh, they haven't. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. They haven't done that yet. No, (laughs) no, no women were allowed back in the day. So we're kind of course correcting these days. I imagine there might be something there might be something to learn from having a woman on the moon because I think probably there's different like it's it probably is a different experience that maybe we'll be able to gain some data from sure yeah and with women you know there's differences in physiology um that weren't really taken into account back in uh the 60s also I think representation is really important for women so seeing a woman on the moon would obviously be very inspirational to a lot of would-be astronauts who are growing up right now. Um, so in terms of space exploration as a scientific endeavor, um, do you think it's become more commercialized rather than uh, scientific, or it, it's a marriage of both? It's definitely very, still very scientific. M- many are working towards certain space missions to learn more about our solar system and the universe. But the trend in the industry is to use more commercial um, hardware and rockets to get into space. And so there are numerous companies, you know, SpaceX is one of the most notable out there that are working to lower the price of getting into space. And, you know, that if when that happens, that's good for everyone because then it means you can get more satellites into space, more spacecraft into space. So, um, yes, the trend right now is to... Uh, lessen 
you know, how much we need to depend on the government to get into space and and see how many more commercial companies can go into the into the realm and also make money off of space. If a commercialized company gets there, gets to the moon first, is that something that we're like, oh, my God, this is Amazon's moon and like the government has to catch up? No. So first of all, um, the government is well ahead of commercial companies in that regard. You know, NASA landed on the moon in 1969. And the only entities to have landed on the moon so far are, you know, superpowers. So Mm -hmm. commercial companies haven't been able to, to cross that barrier yet. But many are certainly trying. There's a whole host of companies that are um, hoping to claim that first title of being the first private spacecraft to land on the moon. One Israeli nonprofit attempted to uh, claim that title in 2019. Unfortunately, their lander did not make it to the surface intact. It slammed into the surface instead. So... um, the first to be that the, the first commercial company to land on the moon, that title is still open. Um, but there are plenty of people that are trying, so it'll be interesting to see who actually does it. If we colonize the moon and build an economy, do you feel like it'll be capitalism on the moon? Well, I mean, right now it's it is looking to be that way. You know, our exploits in space are basically an extension of how we operate on Earth. And so those that are looking to make money from the moon and its resources are doing so with, you know, a capitalist framework in mind. So basically they're trying to find ways that they can sell a product using the moon. Um, I would say the two main routes that people are looking at is um, harvesting the moon's resources and also providing transportation to the moon. So um, what does that mean? Uh, People are eager to know how much uh, water ice is on the moon because they would want to mine that and use that for certain types of resources like turning into rocket fuel or, you know, using it as drinking water for a future settlement. And then also just being able to transport instruments to the moon. So certain scientists might want to send, you know, something up to the moon to gather data about the moon's surface. And companies are trying to provide basically a a taxi service for for those um, astronomers and and those scientists. What uh, in terms of water, that's fascinating. Is that sort of a thing where we run out of water on Earth and then they bring moon water down or? (laughs) Well, I hope we don't ever get to that point because we would be seriously screwed. The moon's water is not going to be very easy to harvest if if, well, at least as far as we can tell, we don't really know how it is up there yet, which we need to learn before we do this. No, it's more about um, making the in-space economy easier. So lifting water off of Earth is really expensive because getting off of Earth takes a lot of energy and water is heavy. And so if you need to, if you need water in space of some kind, getting it from Earth is really uh, a taxing process. But it takes less energy to get it off of the moon. And so if we are able to harvest the water on the moon, we could potentially refuel our rockets while in orbit, you know, create like gas stations in space. So you can just refuel while you're in space instead of having to get a really expensive shipment from Earth. Do you think people will be like selling moon water? 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the goal, right? It's It just depends on what kind of form it's in. Uh, if it's water ice that's kind of, you know, largely contaminated with moon dust, it might be too difficult to, to mine and to, to ref, you know, make into water that we can use. Oh, I just mean like celebrities being like, moon water is better for you. <laughs> Have this <laughs> bottle of moon water. I mean, as exciting as it would be to find, you know, water ice in a really usable form on the moon, I would really highly advise you not to drink it. You know, earth's water is, is just fine for Got that purpose. <laughs> and it's time for one last break. Be right back. And we're back. We're talking about tourism. How how are we on that? I mean, how expensive is that? And how are, are we on like people just being able to visit the moon? So tourism or space tourism, it's it's very much in its infancy right now. Certain tourists have gone to the International Space Station riding on on Russian vehicles to get there. Um, there are certain companies that are trying to you know, make space tourism a reality, notably Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin. They're developing ways to send people, you know, to the edge of space for a, just a few minutes to experience weightlessness and then bring them back down. Um, in terms of commercial companies sending you to orbit or sending you to the moon, that is still very much uh, a ways off. Um, but, you know, that could be the way of the future if they perfect you know, that technology, I'd certainly love to go on a vacation to the moon. I think that would be super rad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how much does that cost, do you think? Or how much does that cost to, to, do, to like, get a ticket to space? Well, let's look at what the current rates are going for. So those, those flights I was talking about going to the edge of space and back, those are running about $250,000 a seat. And then to get to the International Space Station, we're looking at about fifty to sixty million dollars minimum. Wait, sixty million dollars to go hang out on the International Space Station? No, no. I'm just those are the prices of what it'll cost to send NASA astronauts to the space station. So SpaceX and Boeing are working on these new vehicles, these new commercial vehicles to send astronauts to the ISS. And their their tickets are running for NASA between 50 to 90 million dollars. So if you but if they started selling those to the public, I'm assuming it would be in that ballpark. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so that's just to get to Earth orbit and the moon is a lot farther away than Earth orbit. So I can only imagine that a ticket to the moon would be um a you know, quite a lot. <laughs> Maybe Jeff Bezos could afford it. Oh my god. It's like Hey, do you want to like end homelessness or do you want to take a five second trip to space? <laughs> oh, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, there's a lot of discussions about, you know, who who space tourism is for. Right. And right now it is for people with very large pockets. And there are people or the companies that are working on this say that one day the cost will come down when they perfect the technology. But that that future isn't here quite yet. So I'm still I'm still earthbound. <laughs> for the time being. Would you want to live on the moon? I wouldn't want to live on the moon, but I'd definitely go visit. I like Earth a lot. You know, I can breathe here and the temperature is really nice uh, for at least for now until climate change, you know, ruins it. But 
Uh, yeah, Earth's Earth's the place to be to live. <laughs> I mean, until climate change ruins it, and then everyone has to move to the moon. This is my fear because we're such colonizers <laughs> that like we'll just move to the moon, ruin the moon, make it a capitalist society. Uh, the I mean. I wouldn't worry about that just because the moon has absolutely no resources that we could use to sustain for indefinitely. So um, we're always going to be rely on Earth for everything. It's got all the stuff that we need. So um, we might, you know, go build out some settlements on the moon, but we're definitely not moving to the moon full term. Are all the countries working on this kind of thing, capitalist societies? Are they all uh, also interested in making money off the moon? Uh, I'm not so sure, you know, some countries right now are just kind of trying to catch up to where we are. So obviously the U S you know, reigns supreme. We've landed on the moon a lot. We've landed the only people on the moon. Um, other countries are trying to, you know, break that barrier. Russia has long claimed that it's going to send people to the moon. Um, India tried to land on the moon last year for the first time with a robotic lander. Unfortunately, that also crashed just like the Israeli lander did, because, you know, landing on the moon, it's not an easy task. So I would say um, most countries right now are probably more looking into the research side and just being able to land um, on the moon. Now, China is also making a lot of strides. They landed on the far side of the moon for the first time last year, and they're the only ones to have done that. So uh, they are coming a long way. They have more plans to land on the moon in the future for doing research. So China is definitely one to watch in this realm. Are we going to be fighting them for like what currency is used on the moon? Like, is it going to be dollar versus uh, Chinese currency? I don't believe that's going to be anything that we have to worry about right now. I'm pretty sure if you're a U.S. company and you, uh, you know, land something on the, you land a payload on the moon or you are harvesting resources on the moon, you sell that for, you know, however much U.S. dollars you're going to sell it for. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to imagine like a future where they're like, this is a moon dollar for your moon water. Uh, <laughs> um, is it more likely that we won't be on the moon, but we'll be maybe having tourism or uh, like a society in a space station surrounding Earth? Uh, well, that is also something that a lot of, you know, people in the industry are talking about. There's a big push to make low Earth orbit um, a commercial domain as NASA uh, moves towards the moon and deep space. Because NASA has been pretty good at getting people into low Earth orbit. They, they transport, you know, astronauts to the space station, you know, every six months. So... That has kind of been mastered by NASA. And so now the the goal is, okay, can commercial companies take over the domain of the space station, launch their own space stations, and then transport their own people to these space stations? Of course, like I said, you know, many millions of dollars to actually send people into space. So it's still a very expensive endeavor. Whether or not that's sustainable is an open question. But there is a big push, you know, to make this area of space a place that, you know, you and I could potentially visit someday. Yeah, like in sci-fi where there's like that sort of circular uh, community like around the Earth, you know what I mean? And people live up there. 
Yeah, I would love that. I think that would be cool. I, I definitely would totally pop by low earth orbit for like a two week vacation <laughs> out the temperature of the earth and then come back down. You know, that seems pretty, pretty dope. <laughs> yeah. Cause we don't know what the long-term effects are of living up there too. Well, we have a, a bit of an understanding and unfortunately human bodies are not built for space. So, um, one of NASA's astronauts, Scott Kelly, lived on the International Space Station for a year to, so that we could get a better understanding of what it's like when you live in space long term. And he had a whole host of changes to his body. You know, his gut health changed, his eyesight changed. Um, you know, there, there's been a whole study on, on how it affected him. And it's really kind of fascinating what the absence of gravity does to the body. And, uh, it turns out, you know, we, we evolved with gravity in mind and our bodies like having it. So yeah, I don't know if I want to live in space for a long period of time because clearly, uh, I, I enjoy the ground. <laughs> yeah. And there might be medical costs and there might be like a whole medical space economy for, okay, you want to live there long-term Here's like the things you need to do, like space Pilates or something. They open like a, <laughs> like a, okay, here's how you can live here long term if you pay a bunch of money for us to move your legs around or whatever. <laughs> I mean, working out in space is a very real thing. The astronauts on the space station have to work out two and a half hours every day. So just so that their muscles don't atrophy, that their bone health stays strong. So I don't oh. know if I can that. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. That, that's a whole, so then there's a whole other like business <laughs> of yeah, like medical exactly. space stuff. Wow. Wow. So, okay. Uh, that's fascinating. And I imagine we're closer to that than to people living on the moon. And I wonder what currency will be used up there or if it'll be like little segments divided in, you know, based on country, it's fascinating to wonder if it'll mirror Earth or if it'll be its own thing. Right. I think for now it'll simply be if, you know, whatever country you are and if you're looking to utilize the resources of the moon, you know, that'll probably be whatever currency we use. I don't know. One thing's for sure is that you cannot lay claim to the moon. We have a, a thing called the Outer Space Treaty that says that no nation can like, you know, claim dominance over an, an otherworldly body. Oh, so yeah. So no one can, the U S can't go to the moon and say, all right, the moon is ours. Now the moon is technically everyone's. So I have a hard time seeing there being some kind of currency for the moon. Cause that kind of feels like somebody had established, you know, dominance of the moon over some kind. Then again, I don't know, you know, it's, it's still a mystery because we really haven't fleshed out, you know, a thriving metropolis on the moon just yet. Yeah. So maybe, maybe it will happen. I don't know. It, it, I think it all depends on, you know, whether or not we can make money off the moon, which is still, you know, we don't know. Like mm -hmm. a lot of people say that we can, but they haven't actually done it yet. So you know, I think it just depends on if these lunar businesses can actually be lucrative and we're finding that out. Yeah. Breaking that treaty and taking over the moon sounds exactly like what the U.S. would do. <laughs> <laughs> well, they haven't done it yet, but we'll see. 
Wow. Thank you so much. Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I have so many thoughts. Like now that I know at least some of the basic possibilities of what an off-earth economy and human existence could look like, I am I am in awe. I wish you guys were here with me in the studio so we could talk about this because I really want to nerd out right now. So I did the next best thing and I invited a friend of mine who writes for space TV shows. I know for sure that he will geek out with me. Hello. So can you tell your my listeners uh, who you are and what you do? Hey, I'm uh, Garrick Bernard. Um, I'm a writer on the show uh, Solar Opposites and Star Trek Lower Decks. So, okay. So when you're helping with these space-themed shows, like what are you guys looking at or what's the inspiration or what, what are you guys trying to like – you know, get yeah. across that might be like, this is the future. Yeah. Well, I mean, for the Star Trek show, I mean, it's just Star <laughs> Star Trek right. and stuff like that. Um, that show's very optimistic. Though. Yeah, extremely optimistic. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no currency in, like, any of the Star Trek shows. You're right. How it. How is that? How does that, what do you mean? How does that work? Uh, so they have a thing called, like, the replicator. Um, and so it could, like, pretty much create anything you want, like uh, Earl Grey tea and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's really no need to like buy anything, you know, so like, or like if they don't charge for the use or, I mean, if you need a house or something like that, somebody could just go replicate a house for you or replicate the the means of making a house for you. Um, there is no real need to like buy anything. So you don't get like, you don't get a, a, a check from the enterprise or something. For no, your no, work. no, no. Their, uh, <laughs> their currency is discovery is like, that, that's like, <laughs> that's their whole thing. Their currency is discovery. Um, wow. Yeah, they're just out there. Wow. Yeah. So it's very altruistic because there's no capitalism. There's no capitalism at all. Yeah. That is fascinating. How much do you guys like think about that? Um, I mean, <laughs> uh, it it is pretty interesting. Um, it's it's tough to go around in order to like make jokes uh around it. Um What do you mean? Where you're you know, like when you're like being funny or anything like that, a lot of it is kind of like capitalistic or like you're you're making fun of like how much money somebody makes or yeah. um I need to bet you something. There were a lot of like bet things that we were like trying to go around and then in actuality it's like, oh well, nobody would be betting anything really, right. especially if like maybe like a favor or something like that. A lot of like barter stuff. Right. Because like when there's no money you have to. What are the stakes? Yeah, there's no, there are no, <laughs> there there are absolutely no stakes. The stakes is just like your pride, I guess. Yeah, or or the stakes are we didn't discover this thing the yeah, right way, right, the correct way. Or I mean, we could do like a lot of it is like knowledge based, where it's just like, oh, look at how smart I am. Like everybody in Starfleet uh, is like extremely smart. Um, they're all like at the top of their their game and whatnot. And uh, the way they choose to show how smart they are is, like, a big thing in, like, all of, like, the Star Trek shows and so on and so on. And there's, like, a doctor on board and there's no health insurance. There's no – because even in Star Wars, there's currency. Right. Like, there's yeah. the whole thing of, like, Spice Runner or, yeah. like, you know, they're they're uh, trying to get a, a payload of money or they're trying to – because I'm always, like, also, who's funding – uh, the resistance, who's funding right. the death, the building of the Death Star, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I guess it's just the force or something. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Or, or like, um, you know, the the money system of going to another planet and then 
what currency do they use and all that kind of stuff. Right. But if you're in Star Trek, there's no no planet has currency. No planet. Well, I mean, there are some like uh, the Ferengi are like a little bit more. Um, they like charge in order to for you to use like their replicator. So they use like oh. I think it's a, I think it's called Latinum. Um, so they charge you for that. So there are certain, but inside of the Federation of Planets, uh, yeah. there is no currency. Wow. Okay. So outside of those shows. If humanity colonizes the moon, what currency might they use up there? Would they use something that already exists? Would it be a currency that humanity designed specifically for space-based economy? Um, I think it would be I think it like assuming that it's an international base up top. Right. Um, well, someone on the show mentioned that there's a space treaty right. where uh no country can go up to the moon and be like the moon is ours. Right. However, my producer and I were like America would absolutely, absolutely go up there, colonize, and be like, the moon is ours. 100%. So I'm imagining it's the dollar, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, even if it was just me, I would go up and be like, oh, this is mine. <laughs> you know? <laughs> They're like <laughs> violating the space treaty. Right. What exactly are the, yeah. are, what's the repercussions of violating the space treaty? Like, try me. Right. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, what's the. Yeah, come out here, bro. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, come out here and fight me. Come out here and fight me. I don't know if you can see me out here, but my arms are open yeah. wide, you know? So, like, I mean, so, okay, so let's say everyone works together internationally. Like, what what currency are we using? Um, I think, like, if everybody's working together, uh, I don't know, like, post, like, all this segregation type stuff. Right. Where it's just like, oh, Germans are over here and, like, Americans over here. Mm-hmm. I think it'll start turning into, like, a barter thing. Oh. Um, where it'll be, like, uh, an exchange of, like, services or, like, uh, trading a, a shovel for... Um, I don't know, some kind of space dust or like right. a moon rock or something like that. But then I think like I'm I'm sure like uh drilling or like mining would be a big part of things. Yeah. And somebody will discover something on the moon that is rare and then there is like that whole human people bias. Want people want it, mm-hmm. people want rare things and whatnot. So I think that will then become uh the currency. What type of businesses could you envision on the moon and which would be the most successful and why? Um, So I think that like solar would be huge because Mm -hmm. the moon is always facing – one side of the moon is always facing the sun. So like, yeah, I think that would be like the huge part of it. I think uh, most of the side that we see would be covered in solar panels. Um, And then the the dark side would just be like 24-hour bars or something like that (laughs) or something (laughs) Something weird. Some like I imagine some, gravity, anti-gravity, you get drunk quicker. I'm guessing so. <laughs> I'm yeah. guessing so. Um, um so would you want to live on the moon if no, that was an option? No. No. Why? <laughs> I I mean, it would have to get really bad here. Yeah. You're yeah. worried about uh how harsh it would be and having to be in a spacesuit and stuff? Yeah, I'm worried about that. I'm worried about like zero gravity and or like, you know, weightlessness and all mm. of that and I don't. I don't know. I don't, I'm like scared about the vacuum of space. I saw gravity one time, and now I was like, I'm like afraid of looking up and all of that. And you're worried that you'll somehow get launched out of whatever is there, right? And yeah, you'll be stuck. Yeah, in space. And yeah, I'll just be floating around. <laughs> That's um, a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, it truly is. That's it a nightmare. Haunts my dreams. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for uh, your infinite knowledge of sci-fi. <laughs> We've name-checked so many things. Yeah. And I look forward to uh, n- you being maybe one of the last people on Earth when everyone lives on the moon. Yeah, thank and you And just so having much. infinite 
like space, space to do whatever you want. Oh, I love that. I'm gonna live in a fucking shack. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> you'll like, be like you'll be like Luke in uh in Last Jedi. Yeah. Just living in a shack yeah. in the middle of like Fishville uh-huh. green Dr- grass woods area. Drinking green milk out of animals or whatever. <laughs> Whatever is going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, Um, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Nerds. Nerds everywhere. Seriously. Obviously, from my excitement in these interviews, you can tell that I love talking about this stuff. I went to space camp twice. Once to space camp in Cape Canaveral and once to Space Academy in Huntsville, Alabama. And for the second one, I used my bat mitzvah money. I was cool. But more than that, it feels good to be hopeful about the future, to think about where humanity might be or live or be different in space. I know that when I first started this show in 2016, I was very naive. I have our current administration and time and aging and activism and learning and growing to thank for extinguishing that personal flaw. I don't necessarily want to go back to 2016 Gabby in the way that she thought, but I need to be a version of me that can still believe that good things are coming. Look, if we don't have hope, then nothing will change. If we run away, nothing will be solved. Everyone needs to walk their own path, so I judge no one that decides they need to leave, especially if Trump wins a second term. Also, I might be talking out of my ass and may join you at that point. But for me right now, I'm not going to go anywhere. Except maybe to the moon. If I could go there, I absolutely would go to the moon. Thanks for listening to this season of Bad With Money. Let us know what you thought, especially if you enjoyed or learned something cool from a specific episode. We'd love to hear about it, so give us a review. Make sure you're subscribed on Stitcher or wherever you find your podcasts. This show is produced by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our audio engineer is Brendan Burns. Our audio is edited by Andy Christens, and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Original music is composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. And our theme song is performed by Sam Barbera. Bad With Money is a production of Stitcher. We're going on a brief hiatus while we work on season six, but don't worry, we'll be back with new episodes this spring. It will not be as long of a hiatus as you guys are used to. I promise you season six is coming very soon. I know you're going to miss me, so feel free to binge our older episodes. That's right. There's been four other seasons of this show. Pretty crazy. If you're new, go listen to them. Start at season one. Let me know how I sounded then. Okay, well, that's all for now, Deadbeats. See you, I promise, 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 in the spring. Bye!